Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of Grace Point Church in Atlantic, Iowa. My name is Don McLean. I'm the senior pastor here at Grace Point. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can check us out at gracepointatlantic.com. And in the meantime, grab your Bible and check out this week's sermon. I'll be reading from Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 9. Ephesians chapter 6, starting with verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free. Masters, do the same to them, and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. Thank you, Dylan, and thank you, worship team. Thank you, Marcus. Great to hear what's hear that report. Uh, we are in that Ephesians, <clears throat> excuse me, Ephesians passage this morning. Um, two quick reminders before we pray and get right into it. The first is that we are uh, celebrating the Lord's, uh, the Lord's Supper this morning, and so that'll be, we'll come right from the sermon into that. And so many of you in the room probably received one of these little cups. If you did not, we'll get one to you when we get to that part of the service. If you're uh, worshiping with us at home, uh, we encourage you to celebrate the Lord's table with us there and uh, go and get some crackers and some juice and uh, we will, uh, you will be part of us as we, uh, as we celebrate that together. The other thing I wanted to, to say is we're actually going to restart something this morning that we haven't done in a while. Uh, bef- before the, the pandemic, we would have a prayer on uh, communion Sundays after the worship service. And myself and my wife and kind of some of the elders keep their eyes open too in case it gets a big crowd. But uh, we're just available down here in this corner to my right, your left for prayer. So if you have a prayer request or prayer need that you've been uh, praying about that you'd like one of us to pray with you, just come on down after the service is over and we'll be down there after the service. So uh, with that, let's pray and we'll get right into this passage. Lord, we thank you for the time in, in worship already this morning in different ways. And we would just ask now that you would Uh, take us through this passage there's a a good bit here and uh but and we need it and so as we think through these different relationships and what it means to submit to one another out of reverence for christ in these specific relationships flowing through the ephesians here uh, would you open the eyes of our hearts to understand and that we might be enlightened and uh, leave this place this morning uh, better equipped to follow you in whatever ways we most need in jesus name we pray amen Well, I'd like to begin with a a little survey uh, this morning, and I will not make you raise your hands. You don't have to raise your hands, but I I wonder how many of us would say that our very first job was somehow with our own family. 
that are our very first job. And when I say job, I am defining that broadly. So I don't mean, you know, benefits and health insurance and all the rest. I just mean uh, if you did some kind of work and received some kind of compensation for that work, uh, I'm going to call that a job, right? So that's how I'm defining a job. You did the work and you were compensated. Maybe it was just a, a plate of cookies, but you, you did the work and you were compensated. And so just think back over your own, your own story, your own history. You know, maybe you, you took care of your younger siblings and mom gave you a few dollars afterwards. Or maybe you raked the leaves in the backyard and dad gave you five bucks afterwards. Or he took you out to lunch, you know, which is even better than five dollars. You know. Or maybe you were on a family farm and you raised a calf. You were very young and you raised a calf and you brought it through that whole season and at the end of the season you got to keep some of those the proceeds from the sale, something like that. Well, like I say, you don't have to raise your hands, but I think a lot of us would say that was true. I would say that was true for myself, that the first work I did was was in my own family. And I think a lot of us would say the same thing. And and it feels like that's unusual, but it's really not. In fact, it's kind of typical all through human history, if you think about it. Uh, For most people through the ages, work and home work and home were closely connected, right? We're, we're kind of talking a lot about that these days with work from home, and folks are talking about it like it's some new thing where home and work would be connected. But for many people down through history, that's been true. And I think that helps us understand this part of Ephesians that we've come to this morning in terms of how this is structured and why this is structured this way. Uh, as you know, we're working through uh, the second half of Ephesians this fall, and unless you're visiting for the first time today, and if you are, welcome, we're glad you're here. Uh, but if, if this isn't your first time, you know we've been looking at Ephesians this fall, and we're, we're in the, the second half of the letter, and we're in the part now where Paul is focusing in. We're getting close to the end, and before he, he wraps this book up, he's, he's focused in on uh, a series of key relationships, some of our most basic and important relationships. And they're actually connected. And what connects them is that they're all household relationships. In fact, scholars give this passage and similar passages a a title. They call them the household tables uh, because these are all household relationships. And so you think back to the one we looked at last week, marriage. Uh, That one's obviously a household relationship. The parents and children, verses 1 through 4, that's a household relationship but so is the work relationship, that verses 5 through 9. That, that in, especially in the ancient world, but in a lot of places today, uh, it's still the case that, that, our, that these are all uh, household relationships, and therefore they are everyday relationships. Because remember, remember we're under this larger uh, outline of talking about how to walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord, right? And so we're, we're talking about walking through the Christian life in a way that is pleasing to God and that's worthy of this calling we have. And so what we're seeing here is that it affects not just kind of those special relationships, those once-in-a-while kind of rare sort of things, but that it affects our everyday relationships, because that's what these are in terms of marriage, family, parents, children, and work. These are our everyday relationships. And so Jesus wants us to walk in a manner that's worthy of him in our everyday relationships. I've always appreciated how uh, uh, the words of a Baptist missionary, some of you heard this name, his name was Hudson Taylor, and uh, he was a Baptist missionary in the 1800s. Uh, he, he said, he, he wrote at one point, if your father and mother, your sister and brother, if the very cat and dog in the house are not happier for your being Christian, it is a question whether you really are. And his point wasn't to make people doubt their faith. His point was that our our faith in Jesus should be most obvious 
in our most common relationships. And, and that's the context I want to situate these into. And that's really what I want to talk about today. I want to, got to turn it on. I want to talk about how uh, the walking in a manner that's worthy of our calling means keeping Jesus at the center of our everyday relationships. Tyrell, I'm going to need you to advance it. It's not playing nice with me today. Thank you, brother. Uh, we want Jesus at the center of, of these everyday relationships that we're, gonna, that we're talking about. Like I said, we actually talked about two of them already, but we're going to get into a couple more of them this morning. And so that is what we're going to look at. And what I want to do is I want to look at two pairs, two relationship pairs. We're going to look at the parent-child relationship, and then we're going to look at the, uh, the worker-boss relationship, employee-employer, you might say. And we're going to look at what it looks like to keep Jesus at the center of these. And I actually, what I want to do is give you a key word for each one. So I'll give you a key word, and we'll explore what this text says on that particular relationship. And, uh, and then we'll be done at the end, and we'll celebrate communion together. So we'll start with the relationship, there it is, thank you, of uh, children to their parents. So that's the first one Paul addresses. It's verses 1 through 3 in this text. And the key word I want to use to summarize what these verses say is the word respect. Respect. Uh, that summarizes it. Now, Paul doesn't use the word respect. You're going to look real quick at verses 1 through 3 and try to see where I'm getting the word respect. It's not in there. Uh, but respect is, is my, the word that comes to my mind when I take the two words Paul does use and I put them together. And the two words he does use are obey and honor. Obey and honor, and I think that's best summarized with the word respect. So let's look at obey, obey obedience and honoring uh, our parents. So verse 1, he says, Children, uh, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. So we'll do uh, obedience first. One, how do you respect your parents? You obey them. You obey uh, the authority that they have. That's what this word uh, means, the word obey. Uh, it simply means to submit to the authority of another person, and that a person has authority over you. That's kind of implied in my definition. So to obey someone is to submit to the authority of that person to, to, do, what, to do what he says. Right? So the teacher says, do your homework, you do your homework, because the teacher has authority over you. It's, it's a very simple kind of thing. Uh, this, Bible, this word's used a lot in the Bible. Uh, in the New Testament, you see this exact same Greek word used in Mark, Mark chapter 1. Uh, the demons obey Jesus. Mark 1, 27, that we're told they obey Jesus, they submit to his authority. He says, be gone, and they leave. All right, so you see it there. Uh, Matthew chapter 8, Jesus uh, commands a storm to stop, and we read that the storm obeyed him. Interesting, uh, an, an inanimate thing. A storm obeys the authority of Jesus, Matthew 8, 27. Uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 12, tells us uh, to not obey something, interestingly. Uh, Romans 6 says, do not obey uh, the, the passions of our flesh, right? And so in, our, in worldliness, in the world, our flesh, uh, our desire for sin would have this authority, and, and Paul says, don't obey it. Your authority is switched. Your allegiance now is, is to God. And so Romans 6, 12 uses this word, and, and they're all just instances of where this idea of obedience to authority is, is, in, is in play. And that's the command in verse 1. Paul says to, to children, all under this rubric of... Uh, of um, of walking in a manner that's worthy of the Lord, he says, oh, children, obey the authority that your parents have over you. Uh, another thing, a couple of other things to note about this, and then we'll, we'll talk about what it looks like. Uh, another thing to notice about Paul's language here is that what he says here applies generically or in general. 
All right? And so it's children of all ages. It's not just young children. In the Greek language, there are actually two different words Paul could have used if he wanted to simply talk about little ones obeying their parents' authority, but he doesn't. The word he uses is the generic word for progeny. Or so, so anyone who was born from somebody else, and last I checked, that's all of us. And, and so that's the word he uses here. And so the details are going to change as we age, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, but we never age out. We never age out of what verses 1 through 3 in particular are talking about here. And then the other thing that Paul does in verse 1, it's just a short little verse, but uh, he also gives us the reason, or one of, he's actually going to give us two reasons, but he gives us one reason why children should obey their parents. And and do you notice the reason he gives? Uh, It's right. It's right. It's the right thing to do. That's really what that means. It's the right thing to do. And so it's a little bit, and remember, I I say Paul because Paul's the author, but God is speaking, the Holy Spirit is is speaking through Paul. And so there's a little bit, verse 1, it kind of starts with, I said so. Why should I obey my parents? Verse 1, it's right. I said so, right? God said so. That's, and so again, we may, we may live in a culture that doesn't affirm this, that says question every authority, but God says, no, that's not right. It's right to obey the authority of your parents. That's the first reason we're given for why we should do it. So uh, how do we apply that? Right? So children, obey your, your parents. How do we apply this, practically speaking, in our lives? We'll, we'll talk about uh, a few ideas anyway. Um, the answer I'd give is that it depends on your situation, and that, that's important to realize here. So, so let me talk, first of all, with, uh, in terms of minor-aged children. So I don't often get to do this. Uh, you, you younger ones, you're always in my head when I'm preparing sermons, but now I get to talk to you directly uh, because there's a sense, you know, so if you're, you know, in our culture, it would be 18 and under, or maybe even a little older if you're still living under your, in your parents' home and they're supporting you, and maybe you're in school, but, but they're supporting you. Um, if, if that's your situation, then verse 1 is, is really more straightforward because it means you should obey their authority. That's what God wants you to do. And so doing what they, they tell you to do. And the thing to realize with this, I, I could have said this in the introduction, but I'll say it here, is that with this whole passage, as you're reading this, recognize that Paul is talking about, he's making an assumption, he's assuming a Christian family. So I don't have time this morning, we don't have time to go through and think through kind of the exceptions, the abusive parent, the, the rebellious child, um, and likewise when we get to the employer-employee thing. What he's laying out here is a vision for a Christian household. And so when I say that, so when you think of yourself as a younger person submitting to the authority of your parents, what you have to recognize is that this is for your good. Because they're, we'll get to them in just a minute, but they're, they're going to have your best intentions in, in, at heart. You'll see that in verse 4. And so this is meant for your good. Uh, it, it's not supposed to be a, be a burden. Uh, for one thing, your parents know a thing or two. Right? They do. They know a thing or two. Yeah, some of their music's a little dated, but uh, this is not their first rodeo. Right? They have life experience they're drawing on before you existed when, when they're telling you... Uh, things that, that would be helpful for you to know or things that you need to do. I've always appreciated um, something Mark Twain said. I don't know where I first encountered this. I've probably said it before, but I like it. Uh, Mark Twain once said, when I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant, I could hardly stand to be around him. Uh, I was 14. He was so ignorant. But when I got to be 21, Mark Twain said, I was astonished at how much he'd learned in seven years. 
And of course, we laugh because we get it. His father hadn't really changed all that much in the seven years. It was him. Twain was the one who had changed. He'd, he'd grown up and he'd come to appreciate that his father had way more wisdom than he was giving him credit for when he, when he was younger. And so if you're in that younger category, you're still under the direct authority of your parents, then verse 1 says, obey their authority. Obey their authority. It's the right thing to do. Now, for adult children, which is probably going to end up being the majority of us as we listen to this, for adult children, the application here is a little different. And the difference comes in the fact that, that parents today do not have the same authority over their adult children that they did in Paul's setting. So uh, there, in, in Paul's setting, in the first century Roman world, the, the father in particular was kind of like a mini, a mini king over, over his family. There, there was even a term in Latin, uh, pater familias. It, it's uh, a term that means the father of the family. And it had a... Um, it had legal and social obligations and responsibilities and, um, what's the other word I'm looking for, uh, you know, privileges, yeah, that, that he would have as the father of the family. And, and that would extend as long as he lived. He could have children who were 40, 50 years old, but they were still under his authority. And so in that cultural setting, that passage would, would apply in that sense. Our culture doesn't do it that way, and culture isn't timeless. And so the, the principle of obeying a parent's authority is timeless. And so in our culture, you know, we, we, we turn you loose, right? So you, you know, 18, 20, 22, whatever it is, you, you're, 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 you're gainfully employed, you're financially independent, maybe you're married. Your, your mother and father don't have authority over you in the same way that they would in a first century. And so, there, and so the command is to obey the authority that's there, but there's no authority. There's very little authority that's there. And so this doesn't mean, if you're 35, this doesn't mean your 60-year-old dad gets to you know, tell you what job to take and how to raise your kids and all that kind of stuff. That's not what that is saying. Uh, and so the obedience has a, a, a much lower threshold, a much lower standard for adult children living in our culture today. But there's still the other part of this. I'm going to spend my most time on this first one this morning. Uh, there, there's this other piece, which is the second verb in verses 1 through 3, and it's the verb honor. And so how do you respect your parents? You obey them and you honor them. You obey them and you honor them. Take a look at verses uh, 2 and 3. Paul just keeps chugging right along here. It's, it's, it's making this case. Uh, so children, all of this is under that initial command, children, honor your father and mother. And he's actually, you'll notice he's quoting scripture now. He's quoting from Deuteronomy. Uh, the the Deuteronomy version of the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. And so the other part of respecting is honoring. And honor is a a different thing. It has a different sense than the word obey. Uh, Obedience means, like I said, submitting to authority, submitting to someone's authority. But honoring means giving proper recognition or, re- or reverence even, recognition or reverence to someone to whom it is due. That's what honoring means. And the difference, you say, what's the difference? The difference is that you can obey somebody without honoring them. Right? You can obey someone without honoring them. Uh, I, I think in terms of a different category that maybe will help. Think about soldiers, like right, the army. You know, so a soldier can obey his officer's order without honoring that officer. 
And in the heat of battle, that's, that's what you want, right? You, you don't really care if the soldier kind of thinks you're the best guy in the world. You just want him to go where you tell him to go if you're the officer. And so you can have obedience without honoring. You, you can do that. And so maybe he goes off, but he complains about it, or he resents it. He doesn't like the order that he's been given, but he still obeys the order. That's, that's kind of the difference. And so when you think in terms of honoring, honoring is actually a higher standard. Right? Because you can, you, you, you can obey someone without honoring, but you can't really honor them without obeying them in the proper way that they're supposed to be obeyed. And, and that's probably why, not to try to guess God's mind, but that's probably why the fifth commandment is honor your father and mother, not obey your father and mother. God holds us to the higher standard of honoring our parents. So, so how do we do that? How do we honor our parents? Again, I'll start with the younger ones, younger children. I think the, the significant, because you're already operating under the, the command to obey, uh, the authority that's, that's obviously there, and, and I think the difference is, is uh, obeying without complaining. That's really what we're, we're talking about. So, so it's not just mom says, you know, please clean your room, it's, it's, uh, that, and you go and clean your room, that would be obedience, but if you're like the whole time, <laughs> that's not honoring, right? You're obeying, but not honoring. And so the higher standard is to, okay, I, was, I wanted to do something else, but if that's what you say I need to do right now, mom or dad, uh, then I'm going to go, I'll go clean my room now. So that would be the honoring piece. So doing it cheerfully, or, or at least respectfully, that would be honoring um, with that, uh, with that, in that stage of life. But again, what, do you, what, what about those who are older? What about those of us who are older? How do adult children, again, financially independent, not under uh, authority anymore in that sense, how do we honor our parents? Um, all of the, none of this is exhaustive this morning. We could talk at length about all these things. But here's a few suggestions. Um, we can ask advice. I, you know, I, as, as the, uh, as the uh, father of, of young adult children, you know, many of you know we're brand new to the empty nest here, I am so honored when my kids ask my advice. I don't even need them to take it. <laughs> and that's really the thing. You don't have to take it, but, but tap into some of that wisdom. That's a way to honor your parents, right? Honor them by you know, asking their input into the, the things that you're facing in your life. Um, here's another way. We, we need to forgive them. I know it takes a lot of work. Sometimes there's been a lot of hurt, and so it takes a lot of work. But uh, you know, as Christians, we're called in general to forgive. We're under a, a universal mandate to forgive other people. How much more so does that apply uh, to, to our parents, to whom we're, we're commanded to give special honor? So, so doing that hard work of working through those hard things and, and coming to a place of forgiveness if there's, there's hurt there. Uh, we also need to uh, make sure they're cared for. Right? Do, 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 you know, to make sure that our aging parents, this is a, as, as people's as longevity, people live longer, uh, especially important to, to make sure our aging parents are cared for. Uh, it's a complex issue. There are um, limits on it. I know this uh, from personal experience. Most of you know that, um, many of you anyway, know that my own parents live a thousand miles away uh, and just the realities of distance put limits on, on what can be done. But that doesn't excuse me, right? And that would be true for all of us, right? We, we, we need to do what we can do. Honoring our parents means making sure they're cared for. And, and for some, that means taking them in. Some are in a position to do that. For some, it means making sure arrangements are being made. For some, it means just making sure those calls are made, those visits are made, right? And so it, there's no kind of universal application here. Mom must move into the basement kind of thing or the, the nice room, whatever. Uh, it, it, it's going to look different for different people, but the principle is we have to, that, that's a part of honoring them, is making sure that they're, they're cared for uh, 
physically, emotionally, financially, and so on. And, and so those are some, um, some of the, the ways we can do it. There's another reason here. Uh, we're almost done with this first point. Uh, but it's such a rich text and such an important topic. Uh, he kind of wraps up on parent, on children to parents with the, the promise of a reward. And do you see it there in, in uh, verse 3? He says, if you honor your father and mother, uh, you'll live a long and prosperous life. And he quotes from Deuteronomy, it will go well with you and you will live long in the land. And so there's this promise of a reward. He says it. It's the first commandment with a promise, Paul says. Now, it is important to understand what that is and is not promising, what that is and is not saying. Uh, I do not believe this is a guarantee that if you honor your parents, you'll live to be 95 and die with money in the bank. I, I don't think that's what it means. Uh, that might happen. But, but it's not a guarantee. The, the world's too fallen into place. Things are too uncertain for that. It's not a guarantee. But here's the guarantee. Here's, here's what I think God is, is talking about here. What he's saying is you can count on his blessing on that relationship with your parents. If you do what he says to do, if you honor your father and mother, if you obey the authority they have over your life, you, you can look for and expect his blessing on that relationship that you have with your parents. And so there will be peace when you visit. It won't be perfect, and I'm reminded of that whole thing in Romans, you know, live at peace with others in so much as it's up to you. Sometimes that person doesn't want to be at peace, but in so much as it's up to you, there will be peace in that relationship. Uh, it'll be, there will be warmth instead of toxicity. Uh, advice will be given with grace and, you know, instead of uh, sourness. Uh, inheritances will be passed along with joy rather than bitterness. Holidays will be happy celebrations rather than tense ordeals. I, I think those, those are some of the things we're talking about in verse 3 when it says, it will go well with you. If you obey the Lord in the way you treat your parents, if you do what he says to do here, he will bless that relationship. So that's the children's side uh, of the relationship. Children respect their parents by obeying and honoring them. Uh, no relationship, though, is one-sided. And so let's talk now about the, the flip of it. Parents to children. And the key word here is nurture. I want to use the word nurture. Parents center their relationship with their children on Jesus by nurturing, nurturing their kids. And that's verse 4. Fathers, he says, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So there's two commands here, two things to do. One is a prohibition, one is a positive command. So you have a negative prohibition and a positive command. Uh, the negative prohibition is do not provoke your children to anger. Do not pr provoke them to anger or exasperate, uh, another translation says. Do not exasperate your children. What this means is that a parent, and by the way, fathers, it says fathers, but it includes mothers. Uh, it, it, the fathers is kind of a a cultural hat tip, if you will, to that father of the family, that official position that the father had. But he talks about mothers in verses 1 through 3, it, you know, a couple of different times. And so everything we're saying here is about moms as well. And so what he's saying in verse 4 to moms and dads alike is, do not do anything to your children that unnecessarily makes them angry. Now, 
they're going to get angry sometimes, right? Every, every parent who's ever tried to, you know, knows that, or even if you've babysat, you know that. Little, little ones get angry. They're sinners, just like we're sinners. And, and so maybe they get frustrated or they get, you know, they don't want to obey something they need to obey. And so he's, when he says, he's not saying don't ever make them angry. And if your kids get angry, you've done something wrong. No, they're going to get angry. What he's saying is do not make them angry by abusing your authority and power. Do not make your children angry or exasperate them by, by misusing the authority and power that you have as a parent. And you do have authority and power as a parent. For starters, you're bigger than they are, right? Just start with that one. You're, you're bigger than they are. You get to decide whether we buy that sugary cereal. You get to decide what, what, what's eaten in the family and what's watched on television. You have a lot of power there. And, and what verse 4 reminds us to do is to do not misuse that power in a way that's, that's aggravating, frustrating, angry, causing anger uh, in your children. Uh, here's a few thoughts on how to do that. Uh, avoid attitudes, words, and actions which cause frustration, which stir up frustration in them. Uh, do not make unreasonable demands, right? When we make unreasonable demands on our kids, uh, do not burden them with the, the, uh, the need to fill your shoes, Right? If you were a, you know, a great student or a great athlete or you were the homecoming queen or king or whatever, do not expect, don't, don't put that on your kids that they're going to fill your shoes. Um, avoid being unfair, and it's hard sometimes, but, but stay away from that. Don't favor one child over another. Don't compare your child with other children. You know, why can't you behave like Bobby next door? You know, don't do that to your kids. Uh, make sure the rules are applied consistently, right? Your family's going to have rules, and hopefully this is your starting place for where they start, but every family's a little different. Apply them consistently within your family uh, and, and, and across, across time and across the different children. Uh, when you need to discipline, I think this is a big one, uh, when you need to discipline your children, and you will, make sure that your own anger is under control, right? Nothing good comes from disciplining and anger. Get your own discipline, uh, your own anger under control. It can wait 10 minutes. Nothing they, unless they're like running in the street or something and a truck is coming. Uh, there's nothing that's so important that it can't wait for you to get by yourself and take a deep breath and calm yourself down so you're not disciplining in anger. Because that exasperates them. That's, that's such a frustrating thing for a child when, you, when, when we as parents come in with, with that kind of, that, that anger of our own. So that's on the younger ones. It, it, also, it also affects the way we interact with adult children. Right? And so we have to, it's helpful to think about this one. Um, many of us here, we do have uh, some of our kids or all of our kids are, are adults now. And I think when we reach that stage, we have to ask ourselves, we, we still have to ask ourselves, we still have to run ourselves through this rubric. Am I doing anything that needlessly frustrates my adult child? Right, so we're not talking about a five-year-old frustrated in the grocery store now because we won't buy her favorite cereal. Now we're talking about our, our adult children. Uh, do I slip into nagging and lecturing when I disagree with a decision that, uh, that she's making? Uh, do I let the simple request for advice cross over into interference or manipulation? Right? Hey, you know, I, I, I know you're thinking of doing this, but I think you should do that, and I'll give you $1,000 if you do that. I don't know. I mean, manipulation. Am, am I crossing that line where, where, and that becomes exasperating, right? That's, that's, I think that would fall into the category of what he's talking about here. And so we need, we need to think about that. All right, now we look at the positive side. So, so do not provoke them to anger. The positive side, so he's kind of 
good and bad. Yep, bring them up in the Lord. And you see that in verse 4, and I think there's an implied instead here. Do not exasperate them, but instead bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And so parents, our job is to help our children grow up to be people who honor God. If you're a Christian parent, that's your job as a parent. Uh, you know, the world has different goals for their kids. You know, grow them up so they can go off and get into the right college or be a great athlete or take over the, you know, take over the family business. You know, the world ends up sometimes with different primary goals. But if we're Christians, our primary goal is to bring them up to be people who honor the Lord. Um, Henry Ward Beecher was a, a pastor, preacher, kind of a social reformer, too, in the 1800s. And, uh, but, but he was a pastor first and foremost. He once wrote, it is a solemn thing to preach to a congregation from our own loins. It's a solemn thing. And, and I like that quote because what he's saying is that every parent is a pastor. Every parent is a pastor to his or her own children. And you say, oh my goodness, that's, you just upped the ante here. Now what am I supposed to do with that? Well, he actually tells us there are two words here that tell us the agenda for pastoring our own kids. It's the word discipline and the word instruction. So you bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And the discipline, uh, just real quickly sketch these, discipline is referring to moral and ethical teaching. Right, so this is how to live morally in God's universe. That's, the, that's what the discipline is talking about. It's not teaching them how to read. You've got to do that too. But it's, it's talking about training them to live rightly, morally, in God's universe. The other way we pastor our kids is that we teach them to follow Jesus. And that's the instruction part. Teach your kids about Jesus. Just integrate it into your, into your whole family life. You know, share your testimony with them. Some of us never think to do that, but be age-appropriate about it, but make sure your kids know how you came to know the Lord. Uh, read the Bible with them, pray with them, sing with them, uh, tell them Jesus loves them, and not just once. Uh, take advantage of the supports that you have from your church family, the programs we offer, and the people who are here, and so on. Uh, teach them with your life, right? Teach them with, with the way you live, you know, for one thing, practice what you preach. This is a hard one for all of us, but, but live it out, right? These things we want them to do, you know, forgive your brother for what he did to you. Well, let's live out forgiveness, right? We have to live it out ourselves, humility, purity, uh, generosity, and so on. They, they see them in us. So, so don't lie to your boss on the phone and then tell your daughter not to cheat on her math test. That, that one's, that's not going to fly. She'll see right through that, right? They're, they're watching they're watching our every move, and, and there is a, it's one of the most sobering parts about being a parent, but our children are taking their cues for what is right and wrong from us. Right? They're not taking it first and foremost from the television or the video games or the, the president or anybody else. They're taking it from us on what's right and wrong. So, so live it out. And one more thing, and then we'll move on to the other two. Uh, the responsibility to pastor our children doesn't end when they grow up. I don't, I don't see anything in this text that would make me think that Paul wants it to stop when they, when they move out of the house. Uh, it changes, it changes, but, you know, it, it's still there. And so it looks different. You can't sit them down on your lap like when they were four and make them read the children's Bible. You can't do that when they're 20 or they're 30 or whatever. But there are lots of things we can do to continue to pastor them. And, you know, and so share a sermon that meant something to you, you know, or some, some, maybe a book you were, you've read that was really meaningful to you. Uh, by the way, we still have like 50 copies of that Gentle and Lowly book. So if you've enjoyed it, I'd love to give you five more to give to your kids. Uh, the, so, but, but seriously, if you've read a book lately or an article, you saw some blog post that was meaningful to you, share it with them. Let them, let them 
Let them see and decide your, inside your own faith. That's a way to do it. Keep praying for them. You probably don't need to be told that, but I'll say it anyway. Keep praying for them. And don't not only pray for them, but let them know you're praying for them. You know, and the best way to do that is to just reach out to them now and again and say, hey, how can I be praying for you? you know, send them a text or a phone call. and you know, What can I pray for you for this month or this week or whatever it might be? The, you, you'll come up with the creative ways that work best for you. But the point is keep nurturing. Keep nurturing their faith as long as, as you and they, they live. All right, now let's uh, talk about the other relationship pair, and I'm going to spend less time on this one. I've kind of structured this this way on purpose this morning. Uh, I preached about work a couple of weeks, uh, a couple of months ago, the beginning of September, and, uh, but, but, but I do want to honor the text and look for a few more minutes at workers and bosses, and we'll start with workers. The worker's side. So what does it look like? And, and this, many of us are workers, right? We're all workers in some sense or another, unless you're at the very top of the pyramid uh, in your particular organization. We, we, we all have somebody or some, several somebodies that we work for. And so what should our relationship be with those people if we're going to center that relationship on Jesus and its faithfulness? That's how I would summarize verses 5 through 8. Let me just read those again. Uh, he says, bond servants, some translations will say slaves, Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or he is free. So, there are, I'm going to talk about faithfulness in just a minute, and there's three things I see in those verses about how to be faithful to the Lord in our work. Um, but let me just say a, a pretty quick word about slavery, since that is what this text is about, right? So it says, where's he getting workers from? It says slaves or bond servants. Where, where's he getting workers from? So let me just say a, a couple of words about slavery in the ancient world. And the main thing for our purposes this morning that we need to know about slavery in the ancient world is that it is not what we think of as Americans when we think of as slavery. So we think of slavery, we think of pre-war slavery, in the, you know, antebellum slavery in the South, America, the Civil War, horrible blight on our history, um, that, that, that ugly institution of racial slavery. Uh, that is not what existed in the ancient world. Ancient slavery was, was not racial. It was not racial, it was, uh, or uh, racial or ethnic, whichever term you prefer. Slavery in the ancient world was economic. There really were two ways to become a slave. Uh, one was that you would be conquered in war, uh, and the other, and then they, 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 those conquered enemies were brought into the industrial engine of the nation that conquered them. Uh, the other way was actually to sell yourself. And by the first century, Rome was kind of had conquered most of the people they, were, they had around them to conquer. Most slaves in first century Rome had either been born into it, I think that would happen, but, but a lot of them were actually people who sold themselves into slavery. And so slavery in the first century, and it's so much better now, really it functioned almost the way bankruptcy does in our culture. And so if you get deep into debt, there's a mechanism in our, our financial system where you can come out from underneath that, that debt. But there wasn't anything like that in the first century. So what you would do is your best thing was to sell yourself into slavery. Uh, you could buy yourself out. Right? That wasn't true in, in the kind of racial slavery. You could buy yourself out. Take, slaves could take other jobs. Some of the jobs could, could be very high-skilled jobs. Sometimes slaves would be put in charge of uh, the entire estate, you know, if, if, if he had proven himself uh, trustworthy. 
And so it was a different animal. We have to recognize that. It's not America's racial slavery. It's an economic institution. I'm not saying it's good. Uh, sometimes people press this too far, and they're like, oh, they loved slavery in the ancient world. It was, it was not good. It was evil. It was evil. And Christendom, as, as the gospel took hold, slavery was, over, was, was pushed out in, in, Roman, in the Roman Empire. Uh, so slavery, don't hear me saying slavery is a good thing. It's not a good thing. Under Even the economic form was not a good thing. Um, God did not create us to, to be owned by one another like, as property. But you have to recognize when you see these passages in the New Testament about slavery that we're not talking about American slavery. We're talking about this economic institution of labor. And that's why I think the most appropriate way, whenever I preach these passages, and a lot of pastors will do the same, the, the, the best way to actually understand these in our own context is to think in terms of workers and bosses or employees and employers. That's really much, that's the closest to our own system. So back to faithfulness now. What does it look like to be someone who works for someone else uh, in a way that is faithful? And I think I, I see three things here in this text, and I'll take them relatively quickly. Uh, the first is seriously. We are to do our work seriously. He says, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. Uh, fear and trembling. And that doesn't mean kind of cowering and quaking in your boots in this context. Uh, Paul actually uses the exact same phrase in Philippians, uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. And, and what he says there is that we're to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And what he means in that context in Philippians, and I think it applies exactly the same here in Ephesians, is take it seriously, right? It, be sober-minded, be serious about your work. It's, it's important. And so what you have here is actually an elevation of, of work. I wouldn't base it only off of this passage, but when I look at other Bible passages about work, this is going to reinforce that, that work is a, a sober-minded, holy even sort of a thing. In fact, it's why we were, it was one of the reasons we were created. You think of Genesis chapter 2, 15. What does God do with Adam after he makes him? The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it. <laughs> and to take care of it. I mean, that, it's, it, and that's uh, symbolic of our entire, one of our basic purposes as human beings is to do our work. And so if you're going to be faithful in, to the Lord in your work, you'll take your work seriously. You'll recognize the, the importance of it, whatever, whatever it is you do. It's, it's inherently important. Uh, the second thing we see here about it is sincerity. Or do it sincerely. Do your work sincerely. And it really stands out to me in this text. God doesn't want us just pretending we care. He wants us actually caring. He wants us to actually care about the work we do. Uh, do it with a sincere heart, it says in verse 5. Do it from the heart uh, in verse 6. And the reason is that we work for Jesus. He gives a reason here. Why should I be sincere in the way I do my work? Why shouldn't I just mail it in or you know, just kind of fake it? Uh, get away with whatever I can? Why should not that be my attitude? Well, it's because you work for Christ. Do your work as you would for Christ, verse 5. Uh, not as people pleasers. The word actually means um, eye pleasers, not, not to be seen by human beings, but as servants of Christ. Right? And so you work for Jesus. That's your mentality. Do it sincerely. You work for Jesus. Uh, in my sophomore year in college, I lived with a, a Christian friend of mine named Scott and he had a bit of a sense of humor, and he, he got this bumper sticker. He put it up on our door. It said, my boss is a Jewish carpenter. Anybody remember that bumper sticker? My boss is a Jewish carpenter. Uh, the people on our floor thought we were weirdos. They really did. But for us, it was helpful, right? We, our work at that time was to be students 
And it was a good reminder to us that we weren't working for our professors or our parents or even for ourselves. We were working for Jesus. Our work was for him. And so that's the idea here. And then the third thing he says about being a faithful worker is that we do our work eagerly, eagerly or enthusiastically, you could say. Uh, Verse 7, obey your earthly masters, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Uh, the, The New International Version says serve wholeheartedly. I like that translation. Actually, that New Living Translation's uh, the, the best, I think. Uh, in this case, it says, work with enthusiasm. Work with enthusiasm. Goodwill to the Lord. Serve wholeheartedly. Throw yourself into it, is the idea. Not in an unhealthy way, but in a healthy way. Throw yourself into your work. Give your best effort to your work. Because when you give your best effort to your work, you are giving your best effort to the Lord. That's what he says there. All right, last one. Quick look at uh, bosses. And the relationship of bosses to workers is to be faithful. And no, that's not a typo. I didn't forget to change my slides. I actually want to use the same word that we used for workers to bosses. And the reason I'm using the same word is because of what Paul says in verse 9. He says, do the same. He says, masters, it's really striking. You know, it's one thing to tell ancient slaves, hey, do what your master tells you to do. It's another thing to then turn around and say to those masters, you do the same to them. What's he doing? He's echoing chapter 5, verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Do the same to them, he says. And so all these things, he's just told uh, slaves, servants about their, their work. He's told them, you're not working for your master, you're working for the Lord. Now he says the same thing to the bosses. He says, you're not working for the bottom line, you're not working for your family reputation, you're working for the Lord. Now some of the specifics will look a little different because the roles are different, and that's what you see in verse 9. Verse 9, masters, do the same to them. Stop your threatening, knowing that he was both their master and yours is in heaven, and there's no partiality with him. Two ways, a master, in our context, an owner or an employer is faithful to his employees. The first is integrity. Have integrity toward them. And this comes from the prohibition, the negative command. He says, stop your threatening. Stop your threatening. Uh, In the first century, uh, slave owners had a lot of authority. Again, like I said, it wasn't a good thing. I'm not trying to say ancient slavery was a good thing. Uh, They had a lot of authority over those workers, and so it was easy to mistreat them, and and some did. There were definitely instances where uh, masters would mistreat their, their servants, their slaves. And Paul says, if you're a Christian, don't do that. And over the, over the decades, that's going to transform Roman society. But it starts here. Don't do that. Stop your threatening if you're a, a follower of, of Jesus. And that principle is going to care, keep carrying. carries right through. It's going to keep carrying through until Jesus comes back. A, a Christian employer or owner or manager should never misuse or abuse the authority that he or she has over his workers or her workers. Do never misuse your, the authority that you have in that position of authority. Um, that's going to mean all kinds of things. It's going to mean paying fair wages, right? And these days there's a lot of pressure on, on wages to go up, as I understand it. But, but pay, still, right, even when there isn't pressure on wages to, to have them drive up, do what you can to pay a fair wage. Make sure workplace conditions are safe. Uh, make sure there's, that the, the work situation you create is is the opposite of abusive, right? There shouldn't be any verbal abuse of people who work for you or in your setting. There shouldn't be any kind of sexual abuse or sexual harassment. Imagine a culture where verse 9 was taken seriously by many, 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 many people. There'd be no hashtag me too movement, would there? 
There'd be a horrible isolated incidents because of human sin, but it wouldn't be the, the, the tenor of a culture where that kind of stuff is happening because uh, uh, an owner or an employer who had this mindset would stop his... That's threatening. It's straight up threatening. Don't do it, he says. So don't threaten them. Instead, bless them. That would be the idea. And then the other one would be uh, humility. I, I see humility here. If you're an employer, be humble. And that really comes from the, the second part of verse 9. Do the same to them because you know that he who is their master is yours. <laughs> uh, that both uh, their master and yours is in heaven and there's no partiality with him. We're all under the same authority. We're all under the same authority. Workers and bosses alike, we all are under the authority of Jesus and there's no partiality, right? He's not impressed. He doesn't care how big your desk is or where you are in the org chart or any kind of stuff like that. There's no partiality with him. He treats us all the same. And so what's the takeaway? Be humble. Be humble toward those who work for you. Talk to them respectfully. Make sure they have the resources they need. Help them develop. If you're in a field where they kind of need room to grow, make sure they're getting that room to grow. All that kind of stuff. You know better than I do what your particular industry is, is all about. But, but you see the principle. Treat them. Treat them as you would treat them if Jesus was standing next to you. Because he is. And someday you'll answer to him for how you treated them. Well, that wraps up the, uh, the relationship part of Ephesians. Uh, this is how we walk in a manner worthy of the Lord in our relationships. Uh, next week's passage, we're getting close now. We've actually only got two more Sundays in Ephesians. Uh, in next week's passage, Paul's going to come back to a metaphor he used earlier in the book. He's going to come back to clothing. Remember we talked about putting on the new self toward the end of chapter 4? He's going to come back to that. He's going to tell us something else we need to put on, except this time it's not civilian clothing. This time it's a warrior's clothing, right? We'll talk about that one next week. Before we do that, though, what I want to do now, and I just, we're going to end our service with communion and then a little bit of worship, I want us to remember how any of this is possible. None of the things we talk about here are possible except for and unless Jesus did what he did for us on the cross. And so we need to, before we can put on the new self, before we can put on the armor of God, next week's passage, we need to put on the righteousness of God, the righteousness of Christ. And that's what the table is about. And so, uh, you know, we're going to celebrate the table in just a moment now, and uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray, uh, but um, we're going to remember that bread represents his body, which was given in our place. Jesus put himself, he substituted himself. I think the bread reminds us of that. And then the, the, the juice, that juice reminds us that he, uh, he poured out his own blood. He paid the penalty for my sin, your sin, the sin of all those who would trust in him. And, and that's what makes all these other things possible.